the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa Obraca, with my partner in crime. Your Australian um, host, Tabitha, who's sounding a lot less congested this week. So. Yeah, it's nice to see her face. Like, you know how when you have that sick yeah. look to you? Like, you, know, I'm feeling you totally had that last time. The spicy cough is leaving me. It's really good. <laughs> Um, Actually, before we get into this week's episode, I saw a Facebook post while um, I was um, social media scrolling before our meeting up today. And I, it was a really interesting post. The person had posted anonymously in um, a dental page in Australia. And it was a little bit sad because they just said that they're actually struggling mental health wise in the field of dentistry and how yeah. they feel like they're not perfect enough and they've got really high expectations on themselves and they feel their mental health is um, really struggling. And I just wanted to make a point before we get into this episode, because I think it's really important for everyone to hear is that our lives on Instagram or the cases that you see that may look fantastic that doesn't mean that person didn't have 50 shit cases. They just didn't post them. <laughs> right, um, right. And, and our lives, a lot of us, our lives can look really polished on um, social media. I'm not overly polished, but it probably looks nicer than it actually is. Um, but I think that try not to take on too much that you see other professionals doing. Um we might yes. need mental health breaks yes. from dentistry sometimes. It's a really tough profession. Yes. We've lived two nightmare years of the shit called COVID and it's been a mentally draining on everyone, no matter what your career is. Um, so I just wanted to say, you know, if you think, oh, my God, Tabitha and Melissa have it all together, we don't. <laughs> no, we'll be the first to admit that to you. We do I not. I do not. I have a messy bum. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> Same. If you saw us right now, I mean, maybe I should even just take a screenshot of this and post it in our story but, just so people can see real life. Yeah, lots of times, you know, you see on social media and you think every clinician's just breezing through dentistry and doing it with no problems and not stressed or not feeling like they're not good enough. Or, you know, and Melissa and I share a lot of knowledge that we have, but we got that knowledge from like we've both spoken about that we had the exact same journey into implant dentistry because we were scared shitless and we were like, Oh my God. And having a panic attack, what do we do? And it doesn't mean that I don't still have those days or I'm not like, Oh God, what do I do here? Or this, you know, there may be things that we're good at, but there's things that we're not good at. And um, we definitely don't know it all. I um, The more I know, the more I realize I don't know, but, um, yeah. but I just want to reach that sister. to say, you know, <laughs> Be kind to yourself at the moment. If you are struggling, seek help. Seek professional help if you need to. Um, there's no shame in that. Put yourself first. No job is worth killing yourself over mentally or emotionally. Just 
put it, you know, if you need a break, have a break. If you need a mental health day, have a mental health day. You know, life will go on, the practice will go on, workplaces will go on. Look after your mental health and your family and yourself. Like it's really, really important. Definitely. Yeah. It is. And and um <clears throat> you know, it look at look around at the environment too, because it you know, you might be thinking a lot that it's you, 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 but maybe it's the culture of the practice that you're in. Maybe it's very high pressure. Um, you know, I don't know what stage you're in and your progression with your profession. You know, are you a newer hygienist? Or are you a little bit more seasoned? Um, and it's okay to not know everything. Yeah. It's, I, you know, Tabitha and I say this all the time. We don't know at all. And, and just like Tabitha said a second ago, the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, and you reach a level where you can be considered an expert at something from screwing it up 8 million times before. Like we have a product here in the U.S. It's a cleaning product. It's called 409. And the reason why they named it 409 is because they messed up the formula 408 times. <laughs> so, you know, like legit, that, that's been my whole hygiene career. Like I have said and done things that I'm embarrassed about, but you know what? It was important because if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't get to the other side. Yeah. So it's okay to make mistakes. Know that you are doing your best. Yeah. I need apologies too. Don't worry. <laughs> Seriously, me too. Me too. Like, there's things that I look back on and I cringe. Oh. I'm like, I can't believe I said or did that. My first five years of failing. <laughs> well, that too. Like, and I thought I was a boss. I thought, oh, yes, I am a excellent dental hygienist. Man, the crap I left behind. Are you kidding me? And you know, I, I there were times when, as a baby hygienist, I was terrified to go to work because I worked in an office with an excellent hygienist who God bless her heart. She was my clinical mentor and she really helped mold and shape me into the clinician I am today. But it was scary. Like she was, I did not want to let her down. I did not want her to see a patient three months later that I saw and her come up to me and say, you know, I found calculus yeah. and I just to buckle with number three, you know, like, but as much as I didn't want to hear it, I needed to hear it because it made me conscientious. It made me better. It made me figure out, oh, well, obviously what I did, I didn't adapt properly. So how do I work that and make that better and we also had a periodontist that came into that practice and I was like he would not even let me see his patients at first I had to earn that yeah. from him you know or like if there was a scheduling snafu then they got to go in with me but that's how I earned his respect because I did two quadrants for him accidentally and he was like oh, okay you did pretty good but they were invested in seeing me get better. And I, you know, sometimes you got to put your ego aside because yeah, it hurts. It doesn't ever feel good to hear like you didn't do that well, you know, but sometimes that's, that's the only way you're going to get better is to hear that kind of, it's, it's constructive criticism. It's not like a personal attack. And there is, you know, no and if you kind of reframe your mind. Yeah. And there's no perfect person no, in the world. So don't exist. feel like you have no. to be perfect because that person doesn't exist. No. And you know what? We all leave calculus behind every single stinking one of us because we are a human being. Yeah. There's not a hygienist on this planet that hasn't. And you ask anyone that has a scope, they'll tell you how humbling it is because yeah. <laughs> you think you're badass at something. And then you put a camera down there and you see you're not. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah. Be kind to yourself, seek help if you need to, and realize that social media isn't life. And, no, it's very, um, very curated or even not even social media. Even if you're at a conference, you're at a dinner meeting and you're chatting to people you don't know that well, they're not going to tell you the shitty stuff. They're just going to tell you the good stuff. So 
get a good tribe. Yep. That's what really matters. Get a good tribe. Get a good bunch of friends yes. who are in the industry who you can vent to and they can vent back. I think that's really important to have someone that you can or yes. just, you know, bounce ideas off and things like that. That's really, really important to have that or a really good mentor or both. Get a tribe and a mentor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. And there's no shame in seeking help for mental health. Yeah. Mental health is so important. And, um, you know, we have it, it's just in this world that's kind of stigmatized for, you know, talking to a therapist or doing things to support your mental health. But it's very, very important. You know, we, we, we live in a culture, especially in dentistry, there's just such a culture of perfection and, you know, fast pace and always being on. And, and we have to, as dental hygienists, be very like malleable to the situation, to the people that we're treating. It's, it's a very stressful environment to be in. And if you don't really have the skill set on how to manage it, it can be very taxing. So I would definitely encourage, you know, seeking out some mental health, you know, in any way that you can. If it's one-on-one therapy or group or some, you can even, it could be a self-help book, just helping you figure out how to manage things. hundred percent. So we'll get into the episode. I've got a little game to play with you. I'm just going to tell you some random things and it will make sense when we get further into the episode. So Melissa's wearing a black jacket today and I am wearing a white t-shirt pajama top. <laughs> Melissa has on clear glasses. I had chicken and veggies for dinner and Melissa had toast for breakfast. I just watched her eat it before. And um, Melissa doesn't like red meat and I hate tinned beetroot. Or as Melissa explained to me today, tinned beets in America. <laughs> but yeah, canned beets. Let's get into the episode um so what the request was from one of our listeners is was we talk about the way we deliver um ohi and communicate it and it's actually something that both melissa and i are really passionate about and lecture about and talk about all the time as well so we were really excited to be like oh people do want to hear more of us (laughs) harping on about this (laughs) um i think one of the biggest things is and we all talk about this miranda talks about this you and i talk about this siobhan when we're we're teaching icp and stuff like this as well is that what is really important when you're giving oral hygiene instructions is that we're one not just throwing information at someone and not thinking about the way this person receives information that we have patients that consent to oral hygiene instructions it's something they want we don't just and we don't lecture them which is a huge thing we have to make our patients part of the healthcare team that is the way we get change is when a patient becomes part of the healthcare team and they become invested and they ask for it then we get real change if we just spew ideas or tell patients you should do this and this and they don't know the why we'll never get that change. A patient understanding the why and wanting it, that's how you get good oral hygiene instructions. And so communication really plays into this. And we talked a little bit about this last week about DISC, and it kind of plays into this as well about understanding your patients a little bit and stuff like that. But I think Melissa and I will 100% agree on this like we usually do on everything. But um, I think one of the most powerful Mm -hmm. things in the dental practice is actually plaque disclosing. Yes. And, and you know what, too, it's funny because I often say when I when I talk to other people about GBT or introduce uh, GBT or guided biofilm therapy to someone for the first time, you know, the, the consensus is I haven't picked disclosing up since hygiene school. 
And it is, it, it is an extra step. It can be messy when you're not accustomed to using it on a regular basis. It's very easy to manage once you get used to doing it routinely. Um, but <clears throat> it's such a powerful tool because it takes the ownership off of you saying there's bacteria in your mouth, there's bleeding in your mouth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's puts it on its rightful owner, which is the patient. And it does it in a way where it's not degrading. Yeah. It's we're looking at this together. We are, you know, you're coming to me with an issue with your health, especially when you have your periodontal charting up on the screen behind you and you're really talking about your bleeding points and making that connection. See, this is the area where you have deeper measurements and bleeding. Look, this is the same area where the bacteria is heavier. Look how it's darker here. That's indicating more mature bacteria that's accumulating in that specific area. So <clears throat> what I'd like to do is coach you. You're already doing these things. You're already getting in there. You're brushing twice a day. You're using like I usually ask my patient ahead of time, how are you caring for your mouth? Yeah. I don't say, do you brush and floss? How are you caring for your mouth? Because I'm not going to box them into something. And the second I ask, do you brush and floss and they don't floss, I've already made them feel bad about themselves. Well, they say yes. And this is or also lie. Or they lie. And then you're like looking in your mouth. You're like, you're a liar. I mean, like the, the, the disclosing, you can't lie around disclosing solutions. So that's another truth thing where it, it reduces, it's truth serum. It reduces your frustration as a clinician because how many times have you sat there and you're like, "This bro, you're lying to me. There ain't no way you're doing what you're telling me you're doing. So, you know, we have that issue that we deal with too. So that's another positive of disclosing, like they can't get out of it. And then it's also motivational because if they know you're going to be doing this each time they come in, they don't want to see, you know, like we know, we knew before, but now we know even more with that. So, um, but again, it just kind of puts the ownership back on the rightful owner, which is the patient. So then when you're doing oral hygiene instruction, you're saying, hey, listen, you're already brushing twice a day, which is awesome. Let me coach you on how to angle your brush so you can be more effective while you're doing it so you get a better result. That's so not like, hey, you don't brush right. You suck. Let's fix it. Yeah, I, I, I do so the just... exact same thing. I like to say exactly like you ask them what they do because I don't want to lead them to the answer. And you find out really interesting things like, I found out a guy that cleans between his teeth with a Swiss army knife. Um, oh, my like, gosh. I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but, like, I would have never found that out if I didn't ask. You got to right. ask. You control the conversation by asking questions. And I'm asking open questions so that I'm starting dialogue and conversation and not just – because if you just say brush and floss, you can very easily get yes. Or even if you say, do you, do you okay. brush and clean between your teeth? Yes. But what with? So I'm just like, what do you right. clean do you your use? teeth with? And if you only give me right. a toothbrush, do you use anything between your teeth? But I don't give any options of right. what it could be because you right. want to know that. And then I actually heading. ask, I have a heading in my notes called Bob, B-O-B, and it's bleeding on brushing. And I have that in all my notes. Yeah. So then I ask them, do, do you get any bleeding when you're doing whatever your routine is? Because I've already asked them before I've started this, do you have a chief complaint? So I'm like, is anything worrying you with your yeah. teeth or giving you any concerns today? If they say no, and then when I ask them, do you have any bleeding on home care? And they say yes, I know there's a disconnect. I know that does not yes. worry them because they told me nothing worries them in their mouth. And now they've told me they're bleeding. And they'll usually give me information then. They'll, so they'll be like, 
it only bleeds occasionally when I clean in between my teeth. So I'm like, okay, I don't clean very often. That's why it doesn't bleed very often. Right. Or it bleeds all the time. It always has. And I know they're really not chilling about it and they don't think it's a problem. Or right, right. So me, like it never bleeds and I look in their mouth and it's a fountain of blood. I'm like, okay, I've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> right, right. So we have a lot of work to do because the dental intelligence in that scenario is very low. So, but do you see what she did? Like she completely controlled the conversation, number one, and then she used her critical thinking skills to put the pieces of information together. So, you know, we, we literally have to be like investigators as dental hygienists when it comes to this for our patients, because, you know, they're only going to give us dribs and drabs of information and they don't, you know, I think Tom Viola, who is absolutely amazing with medical history and pharmacology. If you haven't checked him out, please go do so. I think he says the statistic when people give you information with medical histories is like they're only giving you 30% of the truth. And it's not because they don't want to tell you, they just accidentally omit things and they don't think it's relative because they, the public does not see oral health as part of total body health. So, and how many times have you had a patient where you ask about medical changes and they're like, nothing that has anything to do with what you're doing? Just think about yourself. Have you ever lied at the doctor when you're at your position, like, or GPs, we call it in Australia, and they're like, how much do you drink? And I'm like, hardly ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not yeah. judging these patients. <laughs> I do <Right>. the same. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very good point. <laughs> right. So sometimes we have to, because we get so, you know, desensitized because it's what we do day in and day out. But we have to think of, I think it's self-reflection is an important piece of it because, and like, even when you get in the chair, sometimes it's important to realize, oh yeah, this is like this, you know, you kind of forget when you're doing it day in and day out, what the experience is like for the person you're doing. Especially I know when I get in the chair, um, I'm always like, don't judge me. (laughs) I feel so so self-conscious when I'm a patient. I I, I need to get a clean at the moment. And I was like, I wonder if I could go to a practice and give a fake name and if they would just know. <laughs> like, I've got cal- I know there's some calculus like lingual. I had like a scalar myself trying to get it out the other day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was just going to say, I, I scale myself for like a week or two before I actually get yeah, the chair. Calculus <laughs> is one of the teeth. And I was like in the mirror trying to get it out. I was like, I just have to go to a dentist that doesn't know me. I'm going to give a fake name and then no one will know I have calculus on the link. Do you see? No, this is, this circles right back. <laughs> this circles right back to our point in the beginning, right? What appears to be perfect perfect versus what reality yeah. is. I was like, I don't want anyone to know. But I know. Yeah. It's crazy. I think that communication in the beginning is really important that we don't, we don't do it like, do you brush and floss? Or, and I just ask, what's your frequency? And I really... Yeah. Make no comments yeah. in this time. I make no corrections. Like if they say I, I floss once a week, I never say you should do it seven days. I say nothing. I just make my notes. Sometimes I start rambling because I am saying nothing. And then now they're like trying to fill the space and they're just like confessing everything. But I say nothing. Yeah. Because I want to wait until I've done the perio chart and I've done my disclosing and I've done my bleeding scores and my plaque scores. And then... I can start talking about what's what what we're seeing and then they can ask me for a solution and then I'll start talking about how often they should clean and and give options but they're more open to that information then so 
I'm not quick to give oral hygiene instructions in in medical history, except there's only one time that I do it when I'm doing my first check and asking all those questions. If someone says they take medications or they've got certain conditions, I'll ask them about their dry mouth and I'll educate them on dry mouth solutions before I even looked in the mouth. Like just so you know, there are yeah. options. They may not be, especially if they say no to dry mouth, I just say, I'm just going to give you information on why. These are things that people can do for it. If you get a problem, we can discuss more. When I look in your mouth, we'll discuss more. But I just plant that seed that there are things that we can actually do and why we should do it. But otherwise, I don't comment on teeth brushing and cleaning in between until I get, until I've seen what's going on. Especially when you disclose, it's such a good storyteller of telling you. You can say, yes. you can see, like, oh, I can see you brush the posterior teeth really well. I know where your changeover is. I know exactly what you're doing. So then I can actually give proper instructions or yeah. And the other thing I ask too is if they say they use interproximal brushes, which a lot of my patients do because they're perio patients, so they've already been given interproximal brushes by someone, I say to them, what colour do you use or what size? Because often they'll know the mm-hmm. colour, not the size. Like I'll ask them, like, what's the colour or what's the size? And when they say to me, I don't know, but they've told me they use that seven days a week, I know they're a liar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you pick up That's a purple point. brush every day of the week for months and months on end and you can't tell me what the color is <laughs> right 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 no, i'm like in my head i'm like you're not using that you don't even have one <laughs> right or i love it when patients say to me oh i bought a water pick you talked to me last time about a water pick and i bought it but it's still sitting in the box yeah. i'm like oh awesome it's zero percent <laughs> I try to be humorous because like, you know, let's have a laugh at it because that's going to, right now I sound like the nagging, you know, the, the Charlie Brown teacher. I don't know if you guys watch Charlie Brown in Australia, but the teacher goes, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and I don't want to sound like that. You know, I love it when my patients are like, I don't floss. When I say, tell me what you do at home to yeah. take care of your mouth. And they say, well, I don't floss. And I was like, okay. They're like, they look at me funny. What do you mean? Okay. I'm like, I might tell you I don't want you to floss. It depends on yeah. what we find. I usually say me either. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I use a brush, everyone. I use something. I use something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when we get to, you know, like I'll then look in the mouth and I'll do perio charting. And I actually chart biofilm onto my chart with the bleeding as well so that I can see it and, and mark its scores. But sometimes I realize I actually don't see it. Like, I'll think, oh, it doesn't look too bad. And then I'll disclose and be like, oh, there's more than I would. Wow, there's more. Yeah. Or, you know, what's fun when you disclose too, is that you can be like, you're left-handed, aren't you? Because you can see how good they do on the opposite arch. And they're like, how did you know that? It's like, now all of a sudden you're like magical. (laughs) You're like, and oh, you can be like, when you turn over, you miss this too. So you turn here and you do this. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, look, you're doing this and this. So like. And you'd be like, yeah. when you do this bit, you always lift your brush. Why are you lifting your brush there? Because <laughs> you're getting the gum line everywhere but there. Like, what's going on? And so it tells right, so much. Right. It tells you exactly how to make those tweaks. But when I paint the um, disclosing on, I actually never call it disclosing solution. That's one thing. What do you call it? I call it, I just say to patients, um, I'm going to paint your teeth with a solution that helps me do a bacteria exam. You and I are so exactly the same. Because just I find if you say crazy. I'm disclosing and I'm looking for where you don't clean properly or where you miss, 
Negative. then you're making a negative straight away and you're putting that patient on the back foot. And this is a question I get all the time. Like people say to me, oh, but adults don't want their teeth disclosed. And I'm like, but how do you phrase it? Because that can make a really big difference. So I say I'm going to do a bacteria exam and I'm going to look at bacteria that can be causing the gums to bleed or causing the teeth to be to get decay. So we're going to have a look at what your individual mouth is doing. And then they're quite invested. Now, when I've painted it, I've already seen what's going on. I already know. And I actually take a photo. So I rinse it in their mouth, take an image so it can go into their chart. And then I sit them up with the mirror. Now, I've already said to them as I'm painting it on, if it's pink, because I use a three-tone, if it's pink, it means it's new biofilm and it's usually happy biofilm. If there's a lot of it, we need to start moving it before it becomes unhappy, but usually it's not too bad. If it's purple biofilm, purple bacteria, then this is the bacteria that's going to make your gums bleed. This is the bacteria that's going to make your gums unhappy. And if we've got that bright blue bacteria, this has got a really low pH and this is the bacteria that's going to start giving you holes in your teeth. And then I sit them up and I hand them the mirror and I go to the computer and I pretend to make notes because I'm not even going to do it. And I say to them, can you just tell me where everything is so I can make notes? (laughs) Now the patient is really involved in this process because they're saying to me, oh, there's purple everywhere. Or there's like, oh, there's a lot of blue here. And what's this tooth? Like they don't know what the teeth are. I'm already making my notes from the Right. my memory and from the picture next to me but they're really then getting involved and then a lot of the time when you sit back down and come around they're like whoa <laughs> how do we how do we fix it again it's a, yeah it's a total total game changer so it's funny because i say something very similar to you where i will tell them i'm going to use this bacterial stain and what it's going to do is show me bacteria that's less than 48 hours old will be a lighter pink color more than 48 hours old is going to be more mature bacteria it's going to show up darker blue or purple and then um, bacteria that produces acids which can lead to tooth decay is going to be a very light blue so those are the colors that we're going to be looking for and then I just give them sit them up give them the hand mirror and then I take my mirror and kind of tour around so they could see like the lingual surfaces and everything And again, boom, very invested. Oh my gosh, there's this, there's that. So so this is where we can do little just tweaks, what you're already doing to make sure that you're more efficient in doing so. I want you to work smarter, not harder. And they like, boom, they're, they're invested. They're like, okay. And, And that's the, it's, it's amazing because they're educated, engaged and motivated. Yeah. One step. And I think, you know, we've already laid the ground with the perio chart as well with you know there's bleeding we've explained what the perio chart means so they know that they might have disease there or maybe they don't have disease yet but you know we talk about susceptibility because we've got all this bacteria but then if the patient understands why this is bad and then this is why it's bad and now they're then asking you well how do I not have this here or how do I change this And then when they're asking you, how do I not have this disease? How do I not have this bacteria in my mouth like this? You've got a patient that's really open to receiving the oral hygiene instructions in a different way. And then that, when it comes down to, again, the way we deliver it is still really crucial. It can't just be then when they ask Tabitha, why and how, that I give them a PowerPoint presentation, you know, lecture (laughs) or start telling them off. It's really important that they never felt, feel shame for it that's really really important no one wants to feel shame at any sort of appointment um 
that you know they don't feel like they're being spoken down to or belittled or feeling like a child when you sing to them that's really important that people you know I try to really sandwich technique with I can really tell that you're brushing and we've just got some technique changes that we need to make you know and so then you know I've said something you know I can see that you're doing this it's just a small technique and I'll often say if no one's shown you how are you meant to know so yeah, definitely. Because I've had so many patients, especially this last year of my career say, thank you for showing me how to properly brush my teeth. I'm a 40 some odd year old adult and no one's ever showed me. And I would say that to the students at school too. I said, think about yourself. Did you know how to properly take care of your mouth and, and do oral hygiene properly until you got here into this program? And they'd all say no. Yeah. I said, so, and how old were you then? You know, put that together when you're talking to your patients. Here we are asking them to do these behavior modifications, but we're not telling them the why behind what we're doing. So who's going to do or make any changes if they don't get the why behind it? So that's where, you know, using the um, bacterial stain, discloser, whatever you want to call it, that's going to work for you and your patient community. Um, and the other piece I say to them too, I said, this, this putting this bacterial stain is going to do two things. It's going to help me see the areas that you might be missing with what you're doing already. And we're going to go over some little changes to make sure that you're more efficient, but it's also going to ensure that I do the best job for you today, because I'm not going to stop working until I see everything is hundred percent removed. So you're going to get the best uh, result from this process, because I know that I have thoroughly removed all of the bacteria before you leave here today. And, and they, you know, they get excited about that. And we've also, we're linking things for them now too, because hopefully if they've told you in their medical history that they've got diabetes or they've told you that they've got cardiovascular disease, you've already had a discussion in the, in the medical history before you've looked in the mouth and planted the seed of, did you know that you've got what the links between diabetes and oral health are? And I actually usually start with that. Yes. Or I'll say, what can you so, tell me about oral health and diabetes? Because they might be really clued up and don't need my lecture. <laughs> You know, like they, right, and, right. and I'll be like, and so then I'll say, excellent, you're all over it, so you understand. And other times they'll say, yeah. I actually don't really know. And I'm like, oh, excellent, can I explain this to you? And they'll be like, yeah, thanks, sorry. And then they'll usually say, exactly like you just said, no one's actually taken the time to explain this to me before. You just said something that's really important, and you asked for permission. And that's something that I do as well. I ask for permission from the patient, may I show you? May I educate you? Can I share yeah. with you? Those are tiny little three word phrases that are so important because you're not stuffing something down their throat that they don't want. Yeah. And if they don't want it, if they say no, may I ask why? Because I've had those yeah. conversations too. But it, it changes, like, especially with one of those patients that come into the room and you just feel the energy. It's usually when there's something, when somebody's kind of like outwardly aggressive towards you, it's usually a place of fear. Yeah. So knowing that ahead of time, you can diffuse that situation just by asking for permission and asking a lot of questions and letting them know they're in control because it's normally, you know, fear is a lack of control. And, and, you know, if you think about what we do, people are in a very vulnerable position in that chair. So if you take all that into consideration, let me tell you something. When I really started making that change and that came with a lot of like my own mental health working on me, but also then learning things like DISC and, yes. and different personality types, it changes the game for you as a clinician. Like you don't walk out of there feeling pissed off and heavy because you dealt with all of this negativity that came into your operatory for the day or your surgery. It You realize the source. 
it's not against you. It's not personal. It's, you know, someone along the way, this person had a bad experience or something happened in their life. And, and, you know, there's a rule of three, like you don't know, like I always say, I give people three chances because you don't know what happened to them before they, you know, drove to your office, got out of the car, walked in. You have no idea what's going on in their world. They might be going through some horrible things right then and there. And then they come into your operatory and they're like, why are you being such a Karen? Well, you know, you don't know why they're being a Karen. Yeah. But it, instead of just saying you're a Karen, I hate you. You can actually like show that person compassion and kindness and be the one thing in their world that they're like, wow that was, that person was really nice to me today. Like it's when I flipped the funnel on that, it really changed me and it changed my operatory in such a positive way. hundred percent. And I think consent matters. And exactly like you said, people come in there with fear or anxiety for multiple different reasons. It's such a multifactual problem that we have with dental fear. It can sometimes not even have anything to do with dentistry. Um, and so right. it is really important that if they're feeling like they lose control there, and that's one of the things that gives them fear, is that you give them control and you make them really feel like one of the things I often say to patients who say to me when they're nervous, I will say to them, just so you know, you're the boss at in this chair, not me, you, you're the boss. And especially if I've got a male patient, I always make a joke and go, you may not be at home, but you get to be here. <laughs> I always have like a giggle with them about I'm like you're the boss I said so if you say stop I said so what I want you to do is raise your hand I said and when you raise your hand I'll raise my hands and I always put my hands above my head and I push my chair back I said so you raise your hand I said I will stop as fast as I can I said remember I have to get things out of your mouth I said I will bring my hands up and I'll push myself away from you I said, so, and so I always do it. I actually physically do it. And I say, so you can do that at any time and I will stop. I said, because you're the boss. I said, if you do that because you want to tell me something funny, that's okay. You can tell me something that you just thought of or maybe you just want to have a breather. Maybe you want to have a chat. I said, I don't care what the reason is, but I'll always stop. And so I just try to really give that control to someone in my room that they are in control. And I say to them, I'm here giving you service for you. You're in charge. Yes. I say the same thing. And I say, this is, you're in the driver's yeah. seat here. This is your seat. You're in control. I don't know what's what you're feeling or your perception of what's going on. So you tell me if something's happening that you're not comfortable with, I can adjust. I'm, I won't be offended. I want you to be comfortable while you're sitting in my chair. And we're working together. Yeah. I try to or in this chair, not my be chair. very careful with the language. Actually, um, I went to a fantastic lecture with Marilyn Dooley, who was a dental therapist and then became a psychologist. And she now is a lecturer Ooh. at Melbourne University, at Monash University, I think it is, sorry. And I actually reached out to her on LinkedIn the other day and she's going to come do an episode with us, which is really exciting. She specializes in dental anxiety, like she's done research into it and stuff like that. And I went to one of her lectures years ago and it really changed things for me because one, I realized that dental anxiety is often not about dental, it's about something else. And don't roll your eyes and don't get the shits behind them. There's a lot going on. But to also be very careful with the language that you use. And I realized that the triggering language that I use that she was talking about, I used every single day. And that's when I started going to change it. So I never say things like, it's okay, you're fine, don't worry about it. Because it's such dismissive yeah. language. And I didn't realize how mm-hmm. dismissive I was being to those patients. Or sometimes saying something that could, in some cases, that can be triggering language. 
And yeah, so now yeah. I'm always like, you're in control. I do ask, are you okay? I don't say it's okay. Yeah. Are you okay? Do you need me to stop? You're in charge. Like, and I make sure I try to really watch the language that I potentially don't say something triggering and actually set someone's off. And that cons- and I and like we said, consent is just so important in the dental practice. In everything in Absolutely. life, consent is the key. Yeah. Um, oh, I was saying that when, if I'm doing a longer procedure, like a non-surgical periodontal therapy, I'm constantly checking in with them and letting them know if I see them like wiggling around or moving, because I, I, this year, um, from amazing people like Tabitha and Faye Donald, and I forget Sophia's last name, but she's also another, um, EMS uh, key opinion leader who talks about how um, they were doing non-surgicals without anesthesia. So I was like, Ooh, I want to get in on this. I want to try this. So I did, I was able to do that this year. Um, when you get your PAs on technique down, you can absolutely provide that kind of care. I did it with diclonin rinse. So they did have some level of soft tissue anesthetic, but um, you know, I would constantly check in with those patients and make sure, Hey, listen, I have a whole draw of anesthesia here. So if this isn't enough, we can always go ahead and, and, get you numb, but you let me know if we can do this and you're comfortable without it, then you don't have to worry about, you know, coming down from the anesthesia or all the things that go along with it. And if I can provide you care without having to do that, because there's a lot, let's face it, a lot of people have extreme fear, just that part. So um, it's just such an amazing value add for patients as well. But, you know, it's, again, just letting them know you're in control because they think I don't want to offend you or it's going to slow the process. At that point, I don't care. Like, I perpetually would run about 10 minutes behind schedule. Anybody that works with me knows that. And they were just used to it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's about their experience. It's about how they feel, right? It's not about you as the clinician. Yes, you shouldn't do things that are damaging to yourself in the process for somebody else. But that's not what I'm the road I'm going down. It's about the experience that they have, how they feel in the chair, because we're not going to get them to go and do the things we would like them to do. If the time that we're together is not a positive one, you know, so like think of it in that aspect. Like if you're just kind of like having this for lack of a better term, pissing contest with this patient for an hour or 45 minutes, what, what's the goal here? Where, where are you going to, what are you achieving? Just getting yourself irritated every time you see them on the schedule and then being like nasty to you because they know it's coming. Like they, they don't like this and they have this issue with you. Like it's an opportunity to turn that around. I've had so many patients where, you know, it, it, like I love converting people. I love taking fearful patients and making them cross over to the other side and realize that that's not how this has to be you know, and, and I'm sorry that that's, that somehow you got here, but I would love the opportunity to work with you to make that change so that you don't have to feel this way. Every time you come to this office, you shouldn't have to stress about this for two months before your appointment. We had a patient the other week. Um, she unfortunately is very anxious. She has generalized anxiety. Um, and she had a poor experience at the dentist and then it turned her off for going and now her mouth is pretty bad so she went to a general dentist who like so she's not leaving the house sometimes she's not getting out of bed over how she looks she doesn't want people to see her 
Um, she's got gross caries even in front teeth. Like I think she'll lose some of her anterior teeth, unfortunately. She went to the general dentist and he just said to because she's she's bad in the chair. So he said too tough leave. So he referred her to the perio and he ref, and I don't know what he was going to do about a decay, but I referred her to a specialist um, dentist who deal um, for, um, who deals he does pediatrics and special needs, and she has some cognitive issues as well. So we referred her to a, a specialist, a special needs dentist as well. But anyway, she was crying in the waiting room before I even got it into the room. She broke down in tears. She's had a panic attack. So we've sat, we've talked. Um, you know, I went through about how she's in control, but I'm going to have to have a look at things. And we actually ended up giving two LAs that day and I cleaned six teeth, which was amazing considering she was crying in the waiting room and thought about leaving and her mum was there and helping her. Anyway, we actually had a really good appointment. And at the end, her mum started crying and I said, um, is everything okay? <laughs> Shit, what's happened here? And, um, cause I was really just concentrating on her daughter the whole time. Like she's in her twenties and we were just really on her. And she just said, um, cause the daughter sat up and she's like, Oh my God, I got my teeth cleaned and I got things done like this. I'm so, and I'm like, you should be so proud of yourself. Like you are a rock star. Like, you know, we were just, we, I was doing the full hype game where I'm like, you are so cool. Yeah. And, um, and her lips were all swollen from the anesthetic. So I'm like, Oh my God, those Kardashians have got nothing on you. Look how good you're looking. <laughs> so we were talking like, around because Again, you. I've read the room. I've understood her personality. I know that this is appropriate with her, not appropriate with some patients. So right, right. I'm playing and acting the way she kind of want, is the way she was communicating with me. I'm mirroring that, and I'm communicating back the same way. And so we're right. you know we're having fun, we're laughing, and the mum stood up at the end and she started bawling. She's like, "Can I hug you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Okay." So she gave me a hug, and I'm like, "Is everything okay?" And she goes, "You're the first person that was just so nice to us about this." She said, you never made us feel shame about her fear and how bad her mouth is. You just said, because I just said to her, it is what it is. Because she's like, it's so bad, it's so bad. And I said, it is what it is. You're in the right place now. You've made the step to make a difference. This is amazing. I'm so proud of you. We don't need to focus on how bad it is. We'll get a plan. Let's just start. It is what it is. We literally are the same human being. It's kind of scary. (laughs) But it was so nice because then the daughter said to me when she left, she goes, so I can come back and see you, right? And I'm like, yeah, like if you'd like to come and have your cleans here, yep. And she's like, I like it. That's not bad. I want to come back. And so we had someone that was literally getting pulled into the room by her mother in her 20s to she goes, I'd like to come back to you. And then when I walked her out to the front desk, she gave me a hug and she goes, thank you it wasn't horrible. She goes, and you made it fun. And that's what she needed. Now for another patient, that would be like going to hell, me making jokes about getting Kardashian lips and, you know, being silly. That would have created an anxiety driven, worse appointment and just ruined their day right? because they're a direct communicator and they want facts and they want me to not talk as much and they want to have more silence in their appointment or they want to put their headphones on and go somewhere else and listen to something and not have me talk to them. Exactly. So that's why communication is so important because you need to ask them what they want. Do you right. want me to chat through your appointment? If you're nervous, does me talking help you or does it make it worse? Right, right. So communication is not only as much about what comes out of your mouth, but how you receive the messaging that is being given to you as well. 
And that's not something when we talk about communication, we don't always talk about the receiving of the messaging. We talk about us communicating, like what's coming out outward from us. But, you know, and that's kind of like the comment I made earlier that we as dental hygienists, we're kind of on a stage performing all day and our, we have to jump into these different characters based on what our patients' needs are. So it, it is about being very malleable. It is about being able to read the room. It is about being having that basis of knowledge. You know, we keep going back to DISC and we do, we do want to get some specialists on and kind of dig deeper into that Miranda Beeson being one of them. Um, yeah. But and Miranda doesn't even know it yet. Hey, Miranda. Hey, girl, you listening? Miranda, you better be listening. You better be listening, <laughs> girl. You better. Um, we, maybe we'll invite Michelle Wakeman on there and let the two of them tag team it together. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's about so much more than, you know, what you're, what's coming out of your mouth. It's how you're receiving the communication of the patient. And it's a lot of nonverbal cues that are very important, too, reading people's body language. I often say, too, when I'm, when I'm um, presenting or sharing education, that the second we open the waiting room door is when we start analyzing our patient. You know, like just not only from a communication standpoint, but also from a physical standpoint. Like, but yeah, look, everyone. I think that just I know we're going to talk more about actual oral hygiene instructions, and we keep talking about anxiety of patients and communication, but it really links in to really making sure we've got that communication down pat. And motivational interviewing is a really important skill, and that's how you really deepen that patient's concern and get them wanting those oral hygiene instructions. It's by making the patient be in control, making the patient ask, and doing reflective listening, open-ended questions, and making that patient go to you, how do I fix this? Because they've understood the why. And, and, And understanding what their motivation is. Because a patient's motivation isn't the same as ours. We're highly educated in oral health. So our motivation is there because we've got a very high understanding of oral health and why it's so important. But maybe the motivation for the patient might be not missing work because they're a high power executive and having an hour off in the middle of the day for a toothache or a broken tooth will ruin so many things for them because they've got so much on. Or they're someone that loves traveling and they're, they're a backpacker and, they, and, and breaking a teeth in the middle, in the middle of nowhere because they like hiking and they're seven days from a town, nightmare. So there's their motivation. So this is why knowing your patients and the chit chat that you have is always so important, even if you're talking about their holiday because you're finding out little pieces of information that you're storing in the back of your brain. Maybe for them it's missing out on family time or maybe it's money for them or maybe it's health. Maybe it's a combination of different things. But finding out what the patient's motivators are will also help you motivate them because then when you know what is the thing that makes them tick, you can relate it back to their oral health. Definitely. And like Tabitha said earlier, when you're having those initial medical uh, history conversations and asking questions is so important in that sense too. And not just say, hey, I noticed your, your medical looks great. I see that you haven't checked any boxes for any kind of conditions. Um, but I just kind of like to look at the bigger picture and understand too your genetic uh, predisposition for different kinds of diseases. So is there anyone in your family that struggles with, a, you know, has a, had a heart attack, um, diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, just kind of running down those main ones. Um, when you're looking at your medical history form and, 
anybody that has taken care of somebody else who has Alzheimer's dementia knows how difficult it is, not only for the person going through it, but also for their caregiver. So being able to use that as a motivation for a patient to say, hey, listen, you know what? Some of the bacteria in our mouths is directly connected to Alzheimer's dementia. And they can be present in your mouth for years and years and years and years and years before signs and symptoms start to develop for Alzheimer's dementia. So that's a way that you can make that personal connection and, and understand the patient, help the patient understand that, you know, what you're doing is bigger than having fresh breath and white teeth. Yeah. Because that's unfortunately what we're basically known for. Yeah. And um, then once that patient is open to receiving the information, the way we actually deliver the oral hygiene instructions makes a big difference. Even in a highly motivated patient who wants it all, who's like, they're all in, we've done all of the front bit correctly. If we don't get the delivery down right, it can really fail as well. So it's really important the way we do it. And I really love a system called Touch to Teach or Melissa, you were calling it Do Show Tell. tell we, yeah, we call it Tell Show Do. Yeah, and I think what's really important is is that if you just verbally give someone information, one, they're less likely to understand why the oral hygiene instructions you just gave are so important. Because if they physically see, because this is the other great reason why you've disclosed first, if they physically see the toothbrush removing it, the way that you're showing them, then they realize actually the modified way she's showing me is better than the way I've been doing it. Because look at how much more is coming off now. But then if you show them and then they do, they're going to retain that information more than just verbally being told. And if we go back to the little exercise that we did um, before today, I want you to now think, what color is the jacket that Melissa's wearing? What color is the shirt that I was wearing? What color is the glasses that Melissa's wearing? What did I have for dinner? What did Melissa have for breakfast? What doesn't Melissa eat and what don't, what, what don't I eat? And if you can't ring off every one of those answers, why are you expecting the patient to do it, not just at the end of the appointment, but maybe 12, 15, 16 hours later? Exactly. They may have come for their 8 o'clock appointment and then it's 10 p.m. at night when they're going to go do their oral hygiene instruction and they've got to just remember what you verbally told them. Now, imagine if you ate dinner with me, do you think you'd be more likely to remember what we had <laughs> like, than if I just yeah. told you what dinner was? So, like, think about that. Like, are we expecting things from patients that we couldn't do ourselves? Yes. Like, Absolutely. So if we physically show them, they're going to retain that information more. Now, the other really important reason with them physically doing it is because then they create some muscle memory. They create some memory of doing it. But the other really, really important factor of this touch to teach and this do show tell, like what is it? Just what do you call it again? Tell show do. Tell show do. I just said it backwards. Ah, it's late here. It's midnight. <laughs> um, is that sometimes patients can't do what we're asking. And if they don't show us, we'll never know and then they go home frustrated and upset when they try it so like i've got an example where i had a patient that i was showing how to use interdental brushes and i'd picked the size and i had the patient sitting up and i showed him and then i held the mirror and i said now you do and he missed his mouth completely and i was like yes okay i was like all right no no no. i'll show you you do and he nearly went up his nose i was like oh my god i was like one more time and then I was like, you know what? Let's think of something else. 
he had terrible hand-eye coordination and he physically couldn't manage getting the pickster from in front of him to inside his mouth. And what we have to remember is as oral health professionals, even though I'm not very good at sport, um, I actually have decent hand-eye coordination or I couldn't do this job. And so we make a lot of assumptions about I can do this because I'm a professional and I do it all day, every day, and I got taught at uni how to do it. And and we forget that this is not everyday life. And some people, their hand-eye coordination is quite poor. Um, They've got bad manual dexterity. They might have medical reasons going on. And so if we don't get the patient to show us, we're expecting something they physically can't even do, and then we don't have a solution. So that means nothing happens for whatever the recall interval is. Right. And then that frustration builds between clinician, provider, and patient. You know, yeah. you're frustrated because you're telling them, but they're not doing it. And they're frustrated because they're doing it and not getting a result. Yeah, 100%. So you create, then you create also mistrust with us because, or they just come into the next appointment with like, whatever, because like what you told me last time didn't work. Right. And they turned off to like, you know, they, so getting them to yeah. show you yeah. is so important. So you, because with that patient, I said to him, you know what, maybe a water pick would be better for you. Because he didn't have the manual dexterity to... Now, I thought the interdental brush was the gold standard for what he needed, but sometimes that's not physically possible. And we have to... What's best for a patient isn't sometimes what's the best there. It's what the patient wants, what the patient needs, the the evidence and our clinical expertise. And when yeah. we combine all of them together, that's best. That's evidence-based practice. Yes. Evidence-based absolutely. practice just isn't on systematic reviews and meta-analysis, and it isn't just on our opinion. It's taking everything into account, the patient's wants, their needs. So even sometimes what a patient needs and what they want, they're not the same thing, and we have to find a way of meeting somewhere in the middle. Definitely. And and at the end of the day, it's what can they, what kind of behavior modification can they do and be consistent with? Because without consistency, we're not going to have success. So, yeah. you know, if Tabitha just sent that patient home without trying, without actually having them do the interdental brush, she would have never known that now the patient tried it once or thought they were doing it and they were actually brushing their nose every day. Yeah. And then they're <laughs> going to be confused as to why they came back and their mouth still is unhealthy. Yeah. You know, so it's, it is such an important step that we, I'll be totally honest with you in the structure and the culture of how our profession is set up to operate. We don't have enough time to do this properly. And that's why this gets, you know, oral hygiene is an afterthought when it really should be the most important part because we're with the patient how many times per year, right? And it's the 80-20 rule. What they're going to consistently do 80% of the time is going to yield a higher result than the 20% we get to work with them. So if we're not front-loading that education, we're doing every patient we see a disservice. So it is such an important part of your hygiene appointment. So if that's the case and you're like, hey, listen, I, I, I'm listening to what you guys are saying and I think it's great, but I just don't have the, I don't see how I can restructure my appointment. I have enough time to debride them and make sure like they're healthy enough to receive this care and then send them on their way. Then that comes down to, you know, it, it's time to kind of take a look at your situation and reevaluate and see, is this how you want to continue providing care? Is the practice you're working with currently open to maybe considering some types of scheduling changes to allow you to provide more comprehensive care for the patients? Or if you try that and you're like, there's no way, then maybe it's time to take a look and see if there's something else out there that's going to allow you to practice the way you feel necessary for patient care. And well, one of the things that I always do, I actually, and so do you, we do the exact same thing. I already know this. Um, I start with oral hygiene instructions. 
Yeah. Because if you run out of time, you can rebook a patient to do the quadrant that you didn't have time for or to do half the mouth that you didn't have time for. But I will guarantee you no one will rebook a patient in for brushing instructions and the patient nope. will be less likely to come. But if you run out of time and say, I didn't get through all of your mouth today, but if you keep practicing what we're doing and then we'll come back and we'll do the other half. Or do you know, but, but make it a priority because if we want our patients to make home care a priority. And the other thing is if you don't do it at the beginning of the appointment, it's not very effective to give oral hygiene instructions on a clean mouth because then they can't see the biofilm being removed. Like, you know, and also they might have turned off, like you haven't got them in that engaging part of the communication. Right. They've been laying down and in a vulnerable spot after that. So they could be a little bit anxious or they're tired. They're now thinking I've really got to go because we're at the end of the appointment and I've got another appointment and you're losing that connection and that energy that you had at the beginning of the appointment as well. So there's lots of reasons why the beginning of the appointment is a really good time to do oral hygiene instructions. Um, and so I always do them. And I know Melissa does as well. Like we disclose oral hygiene instructions and then debride. And so I think that's a really good habit to get into is that you're making it a priority and you rebook if you need to or you start. And if you're finding you're rebooking a lot of patients and it's time to have a discussion that your appointment times need to be a bit longer. Yeah, definitely. So... I hope that that answered our listeners' questions. We did, in our usual style, digress a bit. And get <laughs> off. I mean, no, I think they were important. I know. It's, like, ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take much for us to do that. But, I mean, they were important pieces of information, but it wasn't, like, 100% on topic as per usual for the two of us. But, um, I mean, we can even follow it up with a part two. So if you feel like you want a little bit more of like the nitty gritty as to how we talk about how do you use an interdental brush or how do you instruct someone on a water pick, we can absolutely follow up and do a, another episode that way. So just let us know because, you know, it's not it's not about us. It's about what you guys want to hear, too. So, yes, this is our learning journey. And that's why uh, Tabitha had this spectacular idea of doing this podcast is just sharing our learning because we're such nerds and we do it all day, every day. Um, but you know, it's, we want to hear what you want to hear as well. And we want to be able to provide really cool, uh, content for you guys. So, cause we are so grateful for every disruptor listening and, you know, sending us messages on Instagram or reviewing the podcast or sharing with your colleagues. It makes our heart sing. So thank you for all of that. Please keep it coming. And I guess until next time, keep on disrupting. Okay. <laughs> Not everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.